Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. I feel like the only way that we can ever meet another and not project or judge or blame or shame is by first knowing who we are because then we take personal responsibility we have a sense of inner authority and a grounding within ourselves that anchors us further in our truth and also makes us open enough and accepting enough for the other individual's truth as well Today on 1111 Talk Radio, I share a candid conversation with Waska Waboos of Illuminated Warrior. He and I engage in a realistic conversation about individuals as they travel their spiritual journey. In some of the places they get stuck, find themselves challenged by, or have to negotiate in the journey to self. Be sure to check out the Illuminated Warrior podcast and many of the ancient indigenous conversations that take place on Waska's YouTube channel. It is an enlightening space to hear some of the wisdom from many of the Native Americans and the wisdom that they carried. Now, let's get on with the conversation. Enjoy the show. It's really important for me in this evolution of self to, to be more mutable. Um, and, be, and be more flexible. So that's something that I'm working on to know myself better. And, uh, and I do agree with you. It, it, without know, really knowing self, it's, it's very hard to understand and relate to other people. Yeah. Well, one thing that I would say to anybody seeking a coach or a mentor, and I know that you work uh, primarily with men, although you work with women as well, um, is that if you are with a coach that is not growing, <clears throat> excuse me, growing and changing, that is not willing to completely and constantly look at themselves, that is not willing to have their humanity and their humility in the process, then you need to find another coach because none of us have got it all together. None of us know everything and the only way that we as coaches and mentors can assist other people is by facing our own shadows, our own demons, our own inequities. And when we do that, that is true service to the other and to the world. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a, that's a very good point. Sometimes it's not always easy to look in the mirror, to see things that I didn't think that other people see in me or um, just being more uh, real with myself, being more humble and saying, okay, this is perhaps a perspective I never really considered before. And uh, is there a growth opportunity here for me? Well, I'm sure there is because it's coming up. And if it's real for somebody else, then I, I feel it's important for me to look at. You know, I think it's almost easier to be a coach for another person uh, than it is to face self and to understand self. Because when working with another individual, it's very easy to be objective. It's very easy to be unattached. 
Um, it's, it's really simple to stay in the place of commitment to service because there's, uh, there's an autonomy that exists and also an understanding that the other person is capable, that they have within them what it takes to transform and transcend whatever their experience is. And when we look at self-understanding, the problem is we are attached. Uh, we're attached in conscious and unconscious ways. And it is that attachment to identity, that attachment to the persona, our lifestyle, our belief systems, our woundings, our stories, that really is the inhibiting factor to self-understanding. And so I think when we're willing to really let go and be objective uh, to ourselves in the way that we would be with a client it's it's only then that we get to see through the looking glass. Otherwise, what we see is simply the reflection of what we want to see. Mm, very good point, yeah. I find it's very helpful to ask a lot of questions. It's not just our living in our own little heads, our own little worlds, with our own perspectives, but also being open to what other people might have to offer to the conversation. And it doesn't necessarily mean we have to agree with it, but at least be open to that mirror and that reflection of what others might see. It really goes back to self-responsibility again, because I, whether you are a friend to someone, whether you are a coach, a mentor, a teacher, a counselor, I do believe it's, it's easier to ask the questions. But it's it's when we're willing to not just hold the question in ourselves from that surface level, but to really go deeply into it and carry that, that question and, and do the work of journaling to answer the question and go deeper and go deeper and go deeper and find what our core beliefs have been around those things. Do we then go into a greater level of service because we, we truly can't serve another until we serve ourselves. And I think that goes to the title of this show. To understand self is to understand the other. So unless we're really willing to deep dive and do the type of work that takes us into our shadows, takes us into our fears and our projections, that takes us into our reasons why we want to adamantly stand in the position that we have, we really cannot be of service to another because we're holding on to uh, residual baggage that um, on an energetic level we actually transmit. And so, you know, I think it's really powerful to take a question, but then to really know what to do with the question and not just let it stay at the mental level is the task that's before each one of us. Mm, so you're Pretty much saying diving deeper into it after intellectually acknowledging what the question is and looking looking further into it to get that really down to the roots of it is what I'm hearing. Yeah, because you know the mental level is really surface. That is the mind. That is the societal. That is some of the conditioning. But then we have to dive into the emotional body to understand what do we really feel about that. What what comes up around it? Is it a good feeling or a bad feeling? Is it discomfort? Is it uh, something that makes us go into a freeze where we're numb and we don't want to feel something? You know, where does this take us into our emotional body? And then once we 
go into the emotional body, you know, go deeper even there. Because within our physical body is where the unconscious is embedded. And the way that the physical body speaks is by sensation. Um, hurt, discomfort, this doesn't feel good. It twinges in my left leg because I'm not receptive. It is... Uh, I find my hand tightening into a fist because I'm holding on. I find my throat clearing because I'm not saying what I want to say. You know, our body speaks our truth, but I think we live in a world that's so fast-paced and so distracted and so used to running away that the mental level is an easy way to stay in identity, to hang on to ego, to grip on to story, to stay at the very surface level and masked level of who we each are. And if we truly want to be our authentic selves, if we truly want to discover the essence inside and live the natural, organic, receptive, higher vibrational law of attraction existence, then we have to be willing to crack away all of the masks. And the biggest one of all is the mind. What I'm hearing and um, concurring with is is going deeper, going beneath the surface level of of these sensations, because as you were saying, uh, the body does speak to us in in sensations and is giving messages, um, just like that wonderful book you wrote, Conversations with the Universe. It's the signs, symbols, and synchronicities that are being offered to us on a constant basis, and are we open and willing to? hear them are we aware or do we want to actually let those vibrations and those messages in and are we willing to again as we were talking about like like be truthful accept the truth speak the truth uh, acknowledge those messages and and raise that vibration to a higher space of, rather than just saying okay well this is this is what it is this is who i am and why are we so hard on ourselves we could be so present and compassionate with other people but yet we beat ourselves up so much. What's your take on that? Well, you know, I think that the deceptive intelligence of the ego is so tricky. And one of the ways that it keeps us distracted is by having us, you know, go over our stories again and again and again, you know, repeat the past, talk about how things have wounded us in the past or how things have been or, uh, even as you just said, you know, be hard on ourselves. Say, oh, you know, I always beat myself up. Well, that's just a statement. It, it can stop at any moment, but it is a way of distraction for the ego to avoid the core issue. When we look at the world and we see reactivity and we see protest and we see blame or we see people checking out, going numb, getting into addiction, those are all simply masks and surface level living to avoid what's really going on at a deeper level. And yet individuals say, you know, I want, I want the good life. I want the successful career. I want the purpose in life. I want to be able to serve others. I want the ideal romantic relationship. I want the perfect family, but they don't want to do the work for it. They want to stay at that mental surface level and it's more important to be right or hold a grudge or 
uh, emphasize the truth of their past than it is to say, let me close the door on that because that's not this moment. And there must be something deeper inside me that's keeping me running these loops and running these stories. So how can I possibly create a different future or create the type of life that I want if I keep projecting my past and my pain onto every person, place, and thing that crosses my path? Nothing will change. You will keep recreating the same exact experience. And I think that's why all the ancient texts have one simple core message, and that is live in the present moment. Because if you're in the present moment, you can't pull the past into it. You can't project into the future. You can only be with what is, and there is never anything wrong with what is. I, I believe that we all, to some degree, put on masks. I think that starts at a very young age. We wear masks of, um, like for the guys, I know we wear masks of like that, that macho self, that successful self, that uh, affluent self, that confident self, that I am worthy self. When a lot of those masks are actually just really doing just that. They're masking our true feelings and uh, what's going on beneath the surface. And um, so I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, living presently, living in the moment. I mean, it's been a gazillion talk shows, books, movies, you know, people who talk about it. And uh, so why is it so difficult? Because there's a red pill and there's a blue pill. <laughs> so, you know, I've often said and joked around some of my friends who, uh, and I don't mean disrespect, but that are living kind of ignorantly and they don't get tweaked about a lot of the things that um, other others of us that are working, doing the self-help, the self-reflection type of work are, are feeling and suffering, so to speak, um, to get through, you know? So uh, the blue pill is definitely easier to just go along and, and, and be in that ignorant bliss, if you will. Uh, the red pill, once you take it, once you see things uh, in the mirror and in the exterior world that makes sense, whether we like them or not, it's uh, it's an awareness that there's really no going back, you know. But I, I do think even with the red pill, uh, waking up and doing the work to get to the place of self-awareness and, and understanding self and having those relationships, understanding others, um, it, it's still work to like shed those layers to take, continually take off those masks and have some feedback also, because I don't really fully believe that we could, um, or at least not most of us anyway, could do the work without some kind of feedback, without some kind of um, response to you know how how does it look how does it feel how does it sound now you know because we could we could come to our own conclusions but without that feedback i think it's i think it's a lot more affirming and easier to move forward when we have that feedback so well i do think that most people rely on that crutch i don't think it's required i i think at the core we have to tell the truth that ultimately that's the the first foundation that has to be laid is to realize the lies that we're telling ourselves. And, you know, one of the biggest lies that exists um, or, or one of the things that we don't face is that, you know, human beings are naturally negative. We just are. So we're going to go the negative route whenever we can. And that's why we have to work so hard to be positive. That's why people do affirmations. That's why people do visualizations. Because at their core, there is an understanding that if I have to take a path, 
most likely my mind is going to go the negative path before it goes the positive path. The other core truth that we have to understand is we're lazy. We <laughs> have, we're sloths. We, we don't want to do the work, but we want life to change. And the truth is, unless you're willing to do the work, and that means whether or not someone's there to be a crutch, whether or not there is a, a painful prompt in life that makes you go, oh, I need to look at something because now pain has shown up. This is a moment-by-moment, day-to-day, look in the mirror and ask yourself, who am I? Who have I been? Who do I want to become? It requires that continual devotion. And I think that's the, the, the key, where the, the key turns the lock. It's when we start to realize this doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be work. This can be my sacred devotion and self-love act toward myself, which is ultimately the whole reason I incarnated on the planet in the first place. But we run from devotion. We run from self-love. We run into the escape mechanisms or thinking that the next pill or the next drink or the next person or the next relationship or the next job or the next house or the next city is going to be the answer. And we don't realize that we take ourselves wherever we go. Mm, yeah. Wherever you go, that's where you are, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, what you're saying is pretty pretty powerful. Um, and I think the choice comes in there um, about which direction we want to go. I often question, like, okay, why is it? Why is that? Why, why do we want to stay in this suffering? when there is another option, when there is another choice, and why are we negative at first, at first choice as human beings? Because it's not, I don't think it's easier to be negative. I think it would be a lot easier if we were joyful, blissful, and po- more positive. So where does it all begin? You know, uh, and I know, obviously, at the young age, you know, zero to seven, a lot of those uh, neural pathways and emotional pathways are established. And uh, and until there is some significant change, maybe in our whole society, in our whole world, that a lot of that energy is still there. You know, we project onto uh, our our offspring, onto our youth, as much as you know, we want better for the next generation. A lot of that multi-generational trauma continues anyway so how how do we get to that place where we could just put a a a bomb of uh responsibility and awareness under the collective butt to just say okay it's time to just make these changes and look at yourself look in the mirror do the work and stop stop bitching and moaning well i mean that's that is the presence that we have to give to ourselves i think at the core you know, all of our issues, whether it's the negativity or the slothfulness or the laziness or reactivity or any of the things that take place, they stem from a basic unworthiness that was conditioned in from the time we were born. And we've taken on these lenses that we look at the world through, these belief systems that we create our lives from, and the perceptual filters that we now Uh, act and live by based on those early experiences. But if we're not willing to go through our own multisensory bodies by first 
really digging into what is it that I think? What do I believe? What do I believe about money? What do I believe about love? What do I believe about work? What do I believe about life? What do I believe about um, how I'll be treated? What do I believe about myself? Until we're willing to go to those places where we're willing to truly see the belief that is anchored within the cells of our bodies, we don't really have the control to create our lives. We are creating unconsciously. And the truth is, we are reality creators. So whatever we think, believe, and feel, that is what outpictures outside of us in life. So the key to that, it is a maze. We are all amazed, and we are here to be amazed by going through ourselves. So if we simply will go through the mind first and discover what is it that I really think and believe about everything, to journal and keep journaling until you discover the cracks and crevices within yourself to truly know the world that you're creating based on the beliefs that you are believing. Then you can go into the feeling sensation of the body and say, okay, what do I really feel? Because then there's a whole nother layer. You know, we lie so much to ourselves and the world that we will tell people and ourselves what we think we want to hear but we totally ignore what we really feel. We've become such people pleasers and uh, individuals that have conditioned and conformed to what's around us that oftentimes we're talking out of both sides of our mouths. We're saying one thing and we're feeling another. So that's misalignment. So when we look at our lives and we wonder why life is so misaligned and things are not working out, it's because the basic framework internally is misaligned. We're thinking one way, we're feeling another way, and then there comes the physical, the action. And then the action is a completely different thing. And so we go down a windy route in life because we've got kind of a windy route going on inside of us. But when we can line up those things by really knowing ourselves and understanding ourselves, then all of a sudden we can make what we think, what we feel, and what we do all align together and when that happens, life lines up with us. So that's the key. But it all depends on our willingness to give ourselves the space and time that we want to give to other people, that we want to give to other things, to realize that we're worthy enough for our own space and time to do this kind of work, to, to literally schedule it in our day to say, you know what, I deserve one hour a day, you know, 30 minutes to, to brain dump and feel and know what I'm intending and acting in that day. And then 30 minutes to be receptive, to let something bigger than me come in and fill these empty spaces, retune the places that have gone out of harmony and recalibrate the areas that are no longer vibing at the frequency that I originally came onto this planet as. We have to do the tune-ups, but if we don't even give ourselves space and time, how can that ever happen? Amen to that. It's, it's interesting that that sounds like, and I'm sure surely is, a wonderful roadmap to, to reclaim what a lot of us have lost, to take that time and put those things into into practical application. So 
um, you know, you mentioned before about, you know, people taking pills or whether it's pills or alcohol. And, you know, I used a little, a little metaphor with the red pill and the blue pill. Um, it's very uh, much present. I see it a lot in a lot of the, the guys I work with. There's a lot of um, recovery from drugs, alcohol, uh, addictive behaviors. And what I've found to be one of the most helpful things and clarifying, clarifying, enlightening things uh, was really going into the deepest meditation practice that I've done. So that was that Vipassana experience that I that I went on and gifted myself several years ago. Um, and the minimum that they recommend is doing like 10 days. And I see why, because it takes a certain amount of time to kind of deprogram all the external things that are going on within our heads and to shut out the noise and to put the monkey mind radical frenetic thoughts in a box and allow ourselves to really think more clearly. So for me, it did take a few days to get to that place. And then I felt like I was in a, in a state of bliss because I wasn't having all these external thoughts. I was really felt like I was in touch with my, with my body, with my mind. Think, I felt like I was being a lot more clear in my thought process. And, uh, and I was asked by one of the instructors, they did a check-in. He's like, you know, you, you were having difficulty at first, just getting even physically comfortable, sitting for day, you know, for hours during the day to meditate, and you seem to have gotten over that, which I did. The, the, I, it was very hard. I, I've been meditating for a long time. So to sit for an hour or two, I've done that. You know, But to sit for the whole day with minimal breaks, it was very challenging. You know, I was in my body, and then when I left my body, and I was able to sit all day. I went into my head, and that was even more challenging. And then I was saying, "Hey, bring back the the, the back pain." Um, but after I expressed to him, I said, "Wow, I feel really blissful." His response to me was, "You'll get over it." And at first, I was like, "Hey, man, that's not cool. This is what this is what I want." And you know, it became evident to me, no, that's not what I want because it's as, as you know all too well, it's the craving, it's the clinging and the aversion that really causes the suffering, you know? So I was clinging to that, hey, I feel great, this is blissful, and I wanted to push away, you know, the back pain and the monkey mind and all that stuff. And that stuff doesn't work. It really doesn't work. So for me, it was really coming to the realization that I have to acknowledge all of these things about myself and be able to sit with it. And the power of that meditation experience was uh, I cleared out all of the minutiae that is usually running through my brain and we go around and around and around and um i think it is very imperative to really get down to the heart of it and stand in front of ourselves stand in front of the mirror and acknowledge what we see good bad or ugly yeah i think that that's one of the beautiful things about the vipassana experience because it takes you through that multi-sensory body uh the first thing that you will encounter are going to be the thoughts that are running. And then as you're sitting there all day, every day for 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, whatever degree of Vipassana you've signed up for, then all of a sudden your body is going to, going to start aching and hurting. And those gross sensations of the body are actually where the pain, the trauma, the beliefs, the conditioning has been stored. And so when we're feeling that discomfort, 
in meditation and that need to shift and move to get comfortable, what we're really feeling are the places where the energy has gotten stagnant. And that's why it's important to breathe in those spaces and to be with those spaces so that they release. Um, because as they dissolve, you're dissolving the old energies, the old conditioning. And amidst all of that, the feelings are going to pop up. And so when we give ourselves the space, we give ourselves the condition to decondition. And that is how we become more natural. That is how we return to our authentic self and our true nature. Because all of a sudden we have no place to run and hide. Everything that we are or have come to believe ourselves to be is sitting right there with us. And we either have to be with it or we have to, uh, we have to escape it again. And in those situations, we're forced to be with it. And so I highly recommend that experience. And I, I always tell individuals, be prepared because it's not going to be a comfortable experience. You are going to really see um, all that is animal about you, all that is shadow uh, within your nature, all that is completely distracted and um, chaotic inside of you. And the purpose of it is to reach places of neutrality and equanimity so that not only do we not have the lows in life where we dip down from the cravings that we, or aversions that we have, but we also are not sent off kilter by the highs, like you were saying, the bliss or, you know, the epic romance or the million dollars that we want to make or the status and the fame, all of a sudden we're not attached to people's opinions in the same way. There's so many things that we gain a space of equanimity around because then it's more about creating a conscious and committed experience and partnership with life and those that want to equally participate with us in life. Sharing the awareness of those experiences um, is a is a door to at least offer others to walk through. But of course, we need to do it for ourselves first. And you know, I look back on my childhood and the the way that I was raised, and just the uh, the traumas that I went through in my life. And we all have gone through traumas. Getting through those things. Just as uh, we've discussed and you've written about in your books before, it's, um, it's imperative to actually fully feel them. And I know uh, for me, initially, I felt like, okay, I felt it enough I'm moving on from this. That, as we know, doesn't work. You really do have to fully feel it until you can't feel it anymore. And that's uh, it's a very challenging thing for a lot of us to do. Well, I think anyone who who thinks that they are going to avoid their pain by finding methods to avoid their pain um, is, is living a lie. We don't avoid anything. It will completely show up in other places, in other ways to keep bringing us back to that because that is how life is designed. It's designed to bring us to the people, places, and things that keep knocking on the, the doors of our pain so that we finally address it and reconcile it and reabsorb the cracked and broken and lost parts of ourselves. And when we do that, that is where the peace and the joy and the happiness actually reside. 
and and that's the irony but you know life is this game it is this paradox where we we think what we're looking for is outside but it's really inside we want to go after the shiny bauble but really the diamond is hidden inside the dark coal and and once you figure that out then all of a sudden the work the pain any of that doesn't have to feel as heavy again it can become the devotion it can become the place of commitment and partnership and when you can have devotion and sacredness and commitment and partnership to self in that way then true namaste happens outside of you then you can see the god in other people then you can respect other people the way they deserve and embrace them and accept them but until then it's just a bunch of smoke and mirrors and masks that an individual uses to make themselves feel good about themselves because you know we can spiritually bypass all day long and and i i see people do it all the time it's easy to say you know i do my work or i do this profession or i i know these teachings or i've studied under these people or i've written these books or i'm on stages or you know all of that but that doesn't mean that the person has evolved it just means that they are good at marketing and they're good at putting out there what they do but you know are they really behaving and living their life by those principles you know or is it just another mask that they're wearing to try to convince themselves that they're good enough and until we can embrace that we believe that we're unworthy that we believe that we're undesirable that we believe that we or unlovable or not seen until we fully embrace those places and then give that to ourselves only then can we have the compassion the kindness and the care that is required in the world to truly hold the sacred space that the world is calling for beautiful yeah i was just thinking a question i ask and a lot of times in our men's circles ask yourself who am i like who am i a lot of the answers tend to be more of the physical of the material of the um what what guys are stereotypically seen as but also in reality that it's a big paradigm of well you know i'm they would name their jobs or careers or you know what they had uh, as far as material wealth houses cars whatever and so we would look at rather than physical material aspects of who you are because that's not who you are that's what you have looking at the feelings behind it and the belief systems and how you're living your life and how you're being we define ourselves by what we have and what we do and what our job is and what our career is and and the more important aspects of really knowing and understanding ourselves of of that those emotions and you know, who we're really being on an everyday basis to ourselves and those around us, that kind of takes a back back seat, the back burner, which I, I think is uh, imperative as part of this conversation, part of the bigger picture to really go deeper to understanding ourselves. Well, I think, you know, that's definitely all part of what our society conditions us to believe. And I think definitely for men, you know, they're, they're taught to base their value on what they can do. and how they can save the day and how they can be the knight in shining armor and all of those kinds of things and ultimately it is illustrative of how empty we are in society because we really don't know ourselves 
and when we can only identify ourselves by, you know, the profession we have or the amount of diamonds on our hand or the house or the car that we possess, then all of a sudden we have turned into machines. We have become these inhumane robotic structures that simply move in the world. But when we can move into a place where, you know, who am I becomes more about the expression, the creative expression, the essence of what the heart feels, you know, to be vulnerable, to be intimate, to be uh, empathic, when we can speak to those sides of ourselves, then all of a sudden we get to sip our own humanity. And, you know, humanity is, is not something that we come in with. It is, it is not something that we all possess. That is the chalice that we are here to attain. It is the Holy Grail to really understand and access that level of humanity that allows the tears to drip when heartbreak sets in and that allows the giggle to bubble up from the belly when bliss has rained down. You know, humanity is the full spectrum of the crayon box and that is ultimately the reason for having a human body. But if we are running in a fast-paced world and time is flying by and it's always about the next project or the next thing or the next place to go. There's no time for the sacredness of our humanity. And then this aspiration of ascension or, you know, finding the God within or accessing the God without is a moot point because those things are not even accessible unless you first have your humanity. So it's, it's a very interesting place that we find ourselves because there's a lot of shadow masculine and shadow feminine feminine on the planet right now that is doing the dance of dominance and manipulation and secrets and lies and we see it coming out uh, in the news in events in experiences and all of it is a cry for humanity every single incident that we see every dominant person every subjugated individual, each one of them is another cry for the humanity that they have lost. Um, And so, you know, our greatest service to the world really goes towards understanding the self and just making it our mission to find and embrace our own humanity. There's a Lakota phrase, uh, matakwiasin, which means all my relations. And also... We hear a lot of uh, the phrases, uh, we're we're all one, there's only one person in the room, the oneness, the connectedness. And I do believe that, and I believe that science is also supporting that. We're seeing it more on a a nuclear molecular level that it does reflect uh, the human aspect of it, that we are all connected. Um, But yet, if we look at what's going on, it doesn't look like we're really being the true definition of human beings. It doesn't look like you know, we're all related and all connected from like a, a, a macro view, looking at the big picture, like why uh, are we so advanced in, in so many technologies and even medicine and, you know, social media, but yet we're really not experiencing that, that connectedness, that oneness on 
uh, an exponential level as we have with technology and medicine and our communication uh, options and all. And I think that's uh, where getting back to it really is essential to be present. Um, it requires presence, practice, and effort for us to really grow to know ourselves and to elevate into a higher place where we can uh, understand ourselves and then have that communion and that connection with other people, you know, spiritually as well as just in practically in a practical setting, you know. So, you know, my question is, uh, what is your practice? I think that there are certain protocols that we can each do and, and, and they are things like meditation and journaling and reading and you know all the things that are the doing and they will serve us in different ways. They are ways that we actually um, can take the time to know ourselves in a greater way and then and, and those allow us to access both the neck up and the neck down, depending on the degree that we are willing to go with them. And then there is really dropping into the place that is from the neck down. And that has everything to do with communication and communing. Uh, to communicate with ourselves and our spirit. To communicate with those outside of us. Um, that is... Communion, that is bringing the oneness to the world by way of the heart. And so that too can be a spiritual practice because when you're communicating and communing and you're asking the questions and staying in the inquiry and listening for the answers, that is where the truths will rise. And that is a different level of self-love. I think ultimately the greatest practice we can all have is to continuously deepen into how am I loving myself? And that is beyond the surface love of taking myself on trips and buying myself nice things and um, even eating healthy or the exercise or that type of thing. It's do I love myself enough to really know myself, to go into the places of my own darkness and my own light? Do I love myself enough to be alone with myself for long periods of time? Do I love myself enough to love and be loved? Do I love myself enough to relate to others and see their sides and points of views and understand with compassion where they're coming from simply because I've excavated those very places within myself to be able to see them. And in that way, I understand myself and I understand them. And that is true spirituality. That is relationship. That is unity when we do those types of things. Face the light, do something that illuminates and that you know, really daily practice that brings and supports digging down into the deep roots of figuring out, you know, who, who you are, who we are um, as individuals. And then, uh, you know, again, being responsible for those, those nuggets that come up, nurturing, planting and watering those seeds and just um, growing from there. Anything that you'd like to close with, Simran? 
I just want to invite everyone to take some time after the show and uh, really deepen below the neck and to invite your higher self, your lower self, your shadow, your light to come to the forefront and begin conversing with you so that you get to know yourself in a better way and really free yourself from the shackles and the bindings that keep you from living your best life simply because you don't need to carry around the baggage that you've been carrying. It's time to be free. This is now a time of freedom. It's a time to live in the present moment on a continual basis. And that's going to require your work. It's going to require your effort until you discover the depth of love inside yourself that transforms into devotion and ease. Mm, well, amen to that. Well, thank you for joining me today, Sermon. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of 1111 Talk Radio. Once again, check out Waska Waboose and Illuminated Warrior if you are looking for any type of audio, video, podcast, or coaching specifically for men. He offers those types of services. You can go to illuminatedwarrior.com. You can check out his YouTube channel for many wonderful wisdom teachings from indigenous and Native American wisdom teachers. Thank you, Waska, for the delightful conversation. And if you would like to dig deeper into the various dimensions of yourself, I invite you to check out my latest trilogy of Living, Being, and Knowing. This comprehensive trilogy is a manual designed by the soul that would steward you and guide you through any and every possible experience that is part of our human condition. The books allow you to rise into a higher octave of yourself by understanding yourself on many levels. It is a gentle pathway and a tender way for you to dip and dive into the many aspects of yourself. It can be partaken of as an oracle by opening up any of the books and simply reading the passage that you come to, or if you truly want to have the exponential learnings take place on a gentle daily basis, then choose to read a paragraph or two out of one in the morning, a second one in the afternoon, and in the evening close with a paragraph or two out of the third. The three books are Living the Seven Blessings of Human Experience, being the seven illusions that derail personal power, purpose, and peace, and knowing the seven human expressions of grace. Until next time, I am Simran. In love, of love, with love and as love, be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.